This week on the Iowa Watch Connection. Anytime you do these things at the point of crisis, it's more expensive than if they do it as a planning or preventive mode. Iowa's seniors face some unique challenges. Seniors can be gullible and not up to date on what's happening and what, how things operate. And there's always someone waiting to prey upon them. It's always good before you, uh, you know, hand over a $100,000 check to think about it and think about what are you putting your money into. Issues faced by Iowa seniors, our topic this week. The Iowa Watch Connection is presented by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism. Online at iowawatch.org. Here is Jeff Stein. Census data shows that around 16% of Iowans are 65 years of age or older. Nearly 2.5% of us are 85 years of age or older. That is a large part of our state's population and a large target for those who prey upon seniors. Nick Gerhardt is the Iowa Insurance Commissioner. Number one issue that comes into your office concerning seniors or elder issues is what? You know, we, uh, we deal a lot around elder uh, financial exploitation issues, uh, investment scams and schemes, uh, and really just trying to, to educate these folks. So really we see Ponzi-type schemes. We see uh, folks that are using digital means and other means to get into their home to steal their financial information as well. Uh, but uh, right now, uh, you know, it, it's really a lot of different issues, uh, but we see, unfortunately, quite a few of these Ponzi-type schemes. Think of Bernie Madoff, uh, promissory notes, contracts that have guaranteed interest rates. If you think about the average senior right now trying to uh, retire with some dignity, they need yield on their savings, and, and the interest rates are really low right now. So it's pretty attractive if someone comes in your home and says, well, I can get you 4, 6, 7, 8, some of these are 10% guarantees. And, and I'm just here to tell you, those are false. And so we tell people all the time, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. But we're seeing a lot of folks use this low interest rate environment to try to scam seniors to get a better deal. And unfortunately, it's usually fraud. As you were talking, I was thinking to myself, most Iowans who have been very careful, very safe with their money and have this nest egg, it seems to be a paradox that they then could get taken, but I had not considered the fact that the return on investment isn't what it was 30 years ago, and so people are in a not necessarily desperate but unique situation that really makes them vulnerable in ways we won't expect. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I think folks, you know, uh, you think that you save your whole life trying to build this nest egg, and then uh, you're at a time in your life where you have to now, what I kind of call, decumulate those assets, turn them into income, right? Well, how do you do that? There's several ways you can do it. One is, you know, you, you try to buy some sort of a bond that pays an interest rate, some you know, dividend-paying stocks. You know, what, what, what we tell people all the time is that, you know, annuities are another one. You know, you, you have to sit down with a, a qualified, licensed advisor, someone who's supervised either by my office or, or FINRA, you know, make sure that person is, in fact, uh, licensed. They're offering you reputable products from uh, licensed and supervised companies. You know, if you start from that perspective, you're going to be pretty, uh, pretty well off. It's when you start talking to somebody who says, well, hey, I've got this great deal, and always starts off with something like, hey, i got a great deal, and we're going to make sure you get 5% guaranteed or 6% guaranteed so we can take your, your lump sum nest egg and, and generate real income. 
Well, it, it's not that easy, unfortunately. And uh, and people do think that, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you, you, know, you could have gotten 6 7%, probably realistically. Today, when the 10 years trading under 2%, it's just not that same environment. And it is easy to say to seniors, well, keep your door closed, don't take these overtures, but quite often... I find that the financial representatives may be the son or the cousin or a nephew of a friend, and so the seniors take the meeting almost to help them out, and then they kind of get in a little bit too deep. Is that a fair assessment of sometimes how even the most vigilant people can find themselves in a bad situation? It is. You know, we we tell people it's okay to hang up. You don't always have to be uh, Iowa nice, you know, if they're calling you. In the situation you just described, you know, that's a little bit uh, probably of a less problematic scenario for most people. But but we we tell folks, if you want to help yourself find a good agent, a good advisor, it's good to step into your community and ask your your fellow neighbors and friends and churchgoers, who are you using? Why are you using that person? You know, make sure that that person is licensed and supervised and, and is a legitimate advisor. You know, taking those steps can go a long way. Um, and, and have your other advisors be part of your, uh, your negotiation. So have your, uh, your sons and daughters, if you're comfortable with that, or, or other trusted friends, you know, vet ideas off of them as well. You know, but at the end of the day, you've got to have your guard up, and, and any time you sit down and you don't understand an investment or you don't know why you're having your money go to, into something, stop and ask more questions or just don't do it. I, I tell people all the time, if you don't understand it, you know, it's kind of Warren Buffett principle. If you don't understand it, don't put money in it. If that's good enough for Warren Buffett, it probably should be good enough for most of us. He has done very well with that, after all. So obviously, the seniors themselves need to be vigilant. You alluded to this, but let's make it very clear. For those of us who are a little younger, who have parents and grandparents that we're looking out for, what are some things we can do to make sure that we don't get that phone call from our loved one someday saying, I believe I made a terrible mistake. What can we do to be proactive? I'll tell you what, what, what we do in our family, and, and you know, sometimes I, I get every family has their own uh, dynamic and, and maybe not be as comfortable having these types of conversations, but I think it is a worthy uh, thing to sit down and talk about your estate plan, talk about your financial plan, figure out where, where the money is going. So just last night, actually, at, at, at dinner with uh, my mother-in-law, we sat down, I went over her portfolio, and and looked at where her money's invested and, and how she did for the last uh, year. And I think having that conversation with your loved ones and, and, and knowing where that, that money is and having you know, a, a family decision around it really does help the whole family because you know, there are so many different investments out there, so many different things you can put your money into. Just having the, the knowledge of other ones looking at it and, and some parents don't want their kids to know how much money they have. I, I understand that. But to me, uh, you know, I think it's certainly the benefits far out, outweigh anything else because it's so, you know, I look at my own mother-in-law. She's not she's a very smart woman, but she's not an investment advisor. And so, you know, she wants me to come into those meetings and she wants me to, to look at her stuff and, and see if it's all, uh, you know, in things that are on the up and up. And, again, not everybody has a son-in-law that's an insurance commissioner, Jeff. I get that. But you have somebody in your network that can help you, I guarantee it. And having your sons and daughters uh, be engaged in it and at least making sure that they can help, you know, maybe they can help mom and dad or grandma and grandpa go to our website and see if this person's in good standing. I mean, even just taking that step can go a long way. 
The website for the Iowa Insurance Division is iid.state.ia.us. Commissioner, thanks so much for the information. Very valuable. Thank you, sir. Good to be with you. Nick Gerhardt has served as Iowa's Insurance Commissioner since February 1, 2013. Mary Meal is a lead volunteer for AARP Iowa and a member of the group's State Executive Council. Tell us a bit about the grandparent scam, first of all. This is something that comes around every now and again in slightly different form, but it really preys upon a senior at the place where they really live, their children and grandchildren. Yes, the, the grandparent gets a call, and it's a younger-sounding voice that says something like, Grandma, I need help. I'm in trouble. Can you help me? And the grandparent might say, well, who is this? Well, this is your oldest grandchild. Don't you know who I am? Don't you recognize my voice? And the grandparent will say, Susie, and then they go off from there. And usually the, the scammer tries to explain that they're in Canada or in Mexico and in a car accident and need money for car repairs or have been arrested for um, using marijuana or some such thing. And the child, the caller does not say, I don't want to call my parents. You know how they are. I need you to help me. Can you send me $2,500? Um, this way, and, the, and oftentimes the grandparent gets caught up into that and wants to help and, and send some money. And I've even heard a variation of that where someone will call impersonating law enforcement and say that the grandchild is in trouble, and they either learn the name of a grandchild through postings on social media, etc., so that it sounds very authoritative, and again, what grandparent doesn't want to help a grandchild out? Yes, they're very sophisticated, and uh, gather information in lots of different areas, including social media. There are some other scams that we all may fall victim to, but they target seniors in particular, perhaps because certainly in past years it was because of a lack of knowledge base about computers. I think today's seniors are quite computer savvy, certainly as opposed to 15 years ago, but the Microsoft scam, I know I get calls at home, That can be especially troubling, though, for someone who is a little older and not as confident about computers. Yes, I would agree. The caller sounds very friendly but authoritative. You know, we can help you. We can get this fixed. We've noticed your computer's running slower. Well, everybody wants their computer to go faster, it seems like. And and, um, so they get the person, the, the senior at the other end to give them their IP address and they go into the computer and and uh, take advantage of it. And they often call and say things like, your computer has been infected and that's the last thing anyone wants to hear. And so again, it's preying upon the vulnerable. The IRS scam, similar. Uh, tell me a bit about that as it relates in particular to seniors. Again, it's a lack of understanding of how things operate. IRS will call up often and say, in a very stern-sounding voice, say, you um, made a mistake on your taxes, you owe back taxes, you know, we need to file an arrest form for you, you need to pay this right away, if you don't pay, the deputy sheriff will be there within a half an hour, and... um, 
they sound very convincing. Now, the IRS never makes those type of phone calls. If there's any kind of trouble, they'll send a letter. But seniors especially fall prey to that as well as other people. So now that we've identified some of the most common scams or issues that come up, what are some ways that people can prevent being a victim? Well, you don't have to make any decisions right away. That's the big thing. Uh, Put it off. Say, well, I need to talk to my son or I need to talk to my lawyer. I have to talk to my wife or my spouse of some kind. So don't make any decisions right away. And then find out about it, investigate, do some research, ask lots of questions, call representative authorities, you know, whatever is needed. Some seniors have money. We've saved, we um, invested all our life, we put away into some uh, savings account or investment account, and so we have more available money than maybe somebody in their 40s who's buying a house, is getting ready for kids to go to college, has car payments. So they do target seniors for that, one of those reasons. And then also because seniors can be gullible and not up to date on what's happening and how things operate. Mary Neal, Volunteer Director of the Iowa Fraud Watch Network Speakers Bureau, sponsored by AARP Iowa. Coming up, we'll talk with an attorney who specializes in elder law issues. That's next, as the Iowa Watch Connection continues. The Iowa Watch Connection radio program is part of a statewide audience engagement project organized by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, an independent, nonprofit, nonpartisan news organization. The center is dedicated to producing high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism in Iowa, while also training journalism students to do this work at a high ethical level. The center is found online at iowawatch.org. Welcome back to the Iowa Watch Connection. I'm Jeff Stein. Greg Kenyon is an attorney with the Bradshaw, Fowler, Proctor, and Fairgrave Law Firm in Des Moines. He is chair of the Elder Law Section of the Iowa State Bar Association. There's so many potential areas, Jeff, but I think that the one that gets uh, an awful lot of discussion and attention today has to do with long-term care. Basically, long-term care, which in other times has been referred to strictly as nursing home care, there's only a few ways to pay for it. And uh, some of my clients and people I talk to who have have adequately prepared a lot of people. It just kind of catches them unaware. The thing that I would tell them, uh, it's especially true for a married couple, is that the federal law that governs that, which is uh, Medicaid, also uh, referred to as Title 19, uh, is very generous for a married couple. And by that I mean the couple can oftentimes keep most, if not all, of their assets when one of them needs long-term care. It's based on the premise that you think back to when Medicaid was formed in the Great Society, it was a kinder, gentler view of this, that uh, if one of the married couple needs long-term care, they both aren't going to go broke as a result. That's a premise that a lot of people are just not aware of. 
what people do seem to know about is a look-back period that prohibits transfer of assets within five years of uh, seeking help, and that to transfer to someone other than a spouse. Um, because of those generous rules on a spouse, you can transfer it back and forth with a husband and wife, and it doesn't matter. But it's when it gets outside that married couple that uh, the challenges begin. One of the important things, I think, about this is there are nuances and complications that people often don't think of. And I know that even for the standard ordinary family, there are asset disposal issues. And that sounds so clinical, but that's really the term to use. When you then add to it someone who's involved in agriculture, for example, the family farm, they may have five children, let's say, maybe one or two of those children are involved in the farming operation. It's very important, is it not, for mom and dad in this example to make their wishes very clear, not just over the Thanksgiving table, but with formal documents, or else not only are you going to have bruised feelings, you're going to have a real legal mess after mom and dad are gone. You know, it's certainly true in Iowa. We think of ourselves, uh, and we are an agricultural state, and it is uh, so dear to people. The century farm or the farm that grandfather had has passed on, and they want to make sure that they retain it. And the only way that you have a fighting chance to keep it in the family is to do a lot of planning and have a lot of discussion uh, among family members and among trusted advisors to get to that end result. And there is no perfect answer that I can say this works for every family. It, 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 it's very dependent upon the personalities and the facts uh, of a, that pertain to that family. Uh, but the more discussion they can do, the more they can explore the options, the better answer they're going to get. And it's very difficult for adult children to raise the issue with their parents without coming across like vultures. It's very difficult for the older generation to face mortality, but the reality of the situation is no one has found a way out of this yet. We are all going to leave this earth at some point, and we can either do it on our terms in terms of disposal of property, or we just cast it to the wind or the state laws for intestacy those without wills, and I don't think people really are satisfied with those alternatives when they really think about it. One of the things that can be a big challenge is that you can sit down, and this is often the case with me, that I sit down with more than one member of the family because they they address it as a family issue, which I think it is, and we we agree on a course of action and what we need to do, um, and one of the people let's say it's the mother or the father, has health issues that make it make them um, unable to sign documents. Maybe they're mentally, have had a stroke or a, some other episode, or they have a physical disability. And so we, re- we really need someone that can sign on their behalf, a power of attorney, for instance, or maybe you'd use a trust instrument to accomplish the same thing. But broadly, we think of these as substitute decision makers. And uh, Sometimes that just doesn't cross their mind because they've found a way to kind of work around it uh, until the, the moment of truth comes when they have to transfer something that's titled. And then we have to do something about it, which 
anytime you do these things at the point of crisis, it's more expensive than if they do it as a planning or preventive mode. And perhaps that's the main point for people to take away from our conversation, is that it may not be pleasant. It may come across initially as being either doom and gloom or perhaps opportunistic, depending on which side you're on. But the bottom line is the conversation needs to be had in order to make sure that wishes are carried out and feelings are not bruised. It's absolutely true. And the old cliche, which I think is attributed to Ben Franklin, about an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, is certainly true in this area. If you can get an opportunity to meet with the decision makers, the mother and the father, sometimes it's all of the family, it depends on the family, but have a chance to talk with them early and get a feel for what they want to accomplish and get your arms around what they have, a lot of times you can save them significant heartache and money later. Greg Kenyon, chair of the Elder Law Section of the Iowa State Bar Association. He practices law in Des Moines. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can connect with us online, iowawatch.org. Click on the Iowa Watch Connection tab at the top of the page to listen to all or part of this program again for a list of stations that carry the program and more, iowawatch.org. Follow us on Twitter at Iowa Watch and be sure to use the hashtag IAWatchConnection when commenting about the program. We're on Facebook, too, facebook.com slash iowawatch. And you can let us know your thoughts about this program or suggest ideas for future programs by email. The address is radio at iowawatch.org. I'm Jeff Stein. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll make the Iowa Watch Connection again next week. Iowa Watch Connection is a copyrighted presentation of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, which is solely responsible for its content. For more information about the center, including how you can contribute so high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism and student training can continue, go online, iowawatch.org.